Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today, I interviewed Scott Patterson. He is a prolific entrepreneur, financier, and investor focused on technology and media. Scott co-founded three companies, well, more, really, but three that he's currently working on. He's an executive chairman at Future Vault. He is the chairman at Q Media, and he is the lead director of Giftogram. We talked about each of these companies, in particular Future Vault and what they're trying to do in the space of digital document storage for, for personal use. We talked about Q Media and his transition from launching this company to becoming one of the most successful publicly traded companies in the media and advertising space in India. So learned a lot about India. And then Giftgram was just the curveball. So they're building a platform where you can give gifts to people very easily. It looks really interesting. We talked a lot about joining boards, what it's like to be on the board of companies, and how you think through different career decisions on working on one project versus working on many. Had a lot of uh, great insights, so I really appreciated the conversation with Scott. This show today is sponsored by Otter Labs. At HireOtter.com, you can find developers for your fast-growing startup. There's over 1,200 developers on the platform at Otter, all down in South America. So if you're in the U.S. and you're hiring developers and you're remote, consider Otter Labs because the benefits of having people in another country who are English fluent, great in tech, and on your same time zone are fantastic. Uh, Check out HireOtter.com for more information on that. And with that, I hope you enjoy the show. Here is Scott Patterson. And here we are. So uh, just like that, we're live. I'm excited to be diving in today with Scott Patterson. You have worked on many different things. I'm uh, hesitant to even give you a label, but you're currently now described at least on LinkedIn and the bio that you sent over as a venture ca- media venture capitalist, and you're involved in a few different companies. Maybe we'll start off, Scott. What are you currently involved in? What's top of mind for you these days? Well, I've been really lucky, Mike, in my life. I've uh, been able to be involved in a whole series of things. But if I have a core competency, and I I think I I have a little bit of one, it would really be um, technology as it intersects with media and or financial services, uh, now known, of course, as fintech. So it's really those two verticals. And I'm a victim of loving entrepreneurial activity and very early stage companies and love to get involved and roll up my sleeves. I put my my money where my mouth is. I bring in investors. I'm typically chairman of the companies. I'm I'm not the best CEO, but I think I'm not a bad uh, chairman. And so at any given time, I have a few a few companies. And right now I have three principal companies that uh, would would fit the bill of what I just described. Mm. And one of them is behind you, Future Vaults. Uh, maybe we'll just talk about that one for a second first. Uh, what is the company's mission? What, what is it trying to accomplish? Well, about um, five years ago, I was kind of looking at the landscape, watching the uh, incredible, incredible rapid uh, usage being taken up of personal document management uh, solutions, you know, think Dropbox and uh, OneDrive and, and Google Drive. And I was also experiencing um, that I, and, and everybody experiences this, that we're, we are all being inundated with what I would call a series of point solutions. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, a portal for your bank, uh, a portal for maybe it's Robinhood, uh, Netflix, 
it's a very modest point solution, but, you know, I've got a password and they've got a credit card and they've got certain details uh, uh, from me. And increasingly, we're all just inundated, uh, really, with tens and tens of point solutions in our life. And my thesis was, and those that have been attracted to this opportunity, and I think what we thought was a thesis is now proving out to be absolutely the case, was that a whole new business category was about to be created. And we're calling that business category personal life management to be distinct from personal document management. You say, well, that sounds like, uh, you know, Dropbox to me, but some big, big differences. We think that every single person uh, within five years, everybody you and I know is going to have a digital personal life management vault with their personal, their financial and their legal documents, but it will be delivered to them as opposed to where they opt in. So Dropbox, OneDrive, Google Drive, we choose to use it. Oh, let's, uh, I've moved to Portland. Let's put our new house deed or, or whatever it may be, the documents associated with uh, moving or, or taking a loan or whatever it may be. In the future that we see, financial services companies, banks, credit unions, money managers, brokerage firms, registered independent investment advisors, they will be delivering the key documents of your relationship, uh, monthly statements, year-end tax, know your client, things of that nature, via a digital vault construct with their brand on it. So branded with the name of that financial service organization, but not just financial services companies. Uh, we, We think that healthcare uh, HMOs will be delivering healthcare information via a digital vault construct. Uh, we think educational institutions, universities, uh, colleges, you'll, you'll go to the college today. You have a portal where things are. And for the consumer, it kind of feels like a portal. You may not really know the difference, but from a technological perspective, there's a difference. But really the big home run for the schools and why they, why we think they'll uh, embrace the, uh, the digital vault construct is when you leave as an alumni, You'll have the, say, the Notre Dame vault in perpetuity, and it's a way for them to ingratiate and create a a stickiness to the brand. We also think pension funds, unions will deliver information via vault construct, and ultimately uh, states, counties, and the federal government. 20 years from now, Mike, a child will be born, comes out of the hospital, the attending physicians, any vaccinations, you know, birth certificate, passport will be there. Those kids will look to their parents and say, what do you mean you don't have your grade one report card years later? Hmm. Because everything will be encapsulated in a personal digital life management vault. So the big bright line test between personal document management and personal life management is opt-in, Dropbox versus what I just described delivered to you. And then things like authenticity. Uh, you know, you can put in whatever you want into a Dropbox, claim you have a PhD from wherever. But if you really got a PhD from Notre Dame, then that can be, uh, you know, authenticated. The other thing really important from a technological perspective is the way we use machine learning and artificial intelligence and the structure that comes with personal life management digital vaults. It's completely configurable. You can call folders and subfolders, whatever you want. But by virtue of having structure, the machine is able to learn what documents are. And one of our four patents is associated with being able to say, hey, we think this is a bank statement from JP Morgan, and therefore it should be filed here. Or this is a mortgage, you know, from Wells Fargo, and it should be filed here. So what I'm propagating to you and we're propagating to the world and, you know, what is our mission? You know, we think we are on the vanguard of a category that is going to be one of the biggest categories ever seen in the history of time, that every single person will have a digital personal life management vault in due course. Wow. Uh, well, first off, congrats on all the progress there. The momentum, the the things that are making, the forces that are making this an opportunity, is it that the current rails that institutions, we'll just call it institutions for all the different schools and governments, things that you listed, they're sending it in an insecure way or a disorganized way. Uh, I imagine PDFs on email or might not even be electronic, might just be mail. I'm thinking about when we received our birth certificate for our son, it was mail. I mean, I imagine they're looking at how to move from physical mail in those cases in the healthcare system and maybe government to an electronic system. And this is the way. This is effectively a secure man, document management system that comes from an institution to an individual. And is well, that, that right? At, at, at a base level, those are those are table stakes. So that's kind of the 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 first piece of the puzzle, security is table stakes for our business, and and to the point you make it. Unfortunately, email is not secure. I've 
had a couple of hacking attempts, and most of us have. Um, but that's not really uh, the home run. This is a complete paradigm shift with respect to how the world uh, will operate. The first point was the point solutions. You know, if I get medical records from my HMO and then I get bank records from one bank and other information from Robinhood, I still have a bunch of stuff. It's not aggregated. So this is a bit of an how do I get it all in one place type of mentality, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, permissioning is really our secret sauce. This is where we've uh, just had a U.S. patent granted uh, over the summer, which made us really happy. And and I want to kind of articulate the the excitement around this. And when we say about a paradigm shift, how how much we mean. So I'll give you an example. I called my my life insurance agent. I've I've got eight kids myself, including a young one like you. Wow, uh, a one and a, one and a half year old. Don't be fooled by the the uh, the grayish white hair. My wife is sixteen years younger. Uh, and we have three moms to the eight kids. And I'm very very blessed. And by the way, when we got our birth certificate, it wasn't even in the mail. It was kind of you scribbled it out. And <laughs> yeah, and was like, you got to be kidding me. That can't be the way of the world. But we're not talking about automation to to you know move to a paperless society. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when I called up my life insurance agent and I said, love you like a brother, want you to be my agent. We have this new tool, this new solution, and you are going to be permissioned in as one of my trusted advisors. Oh, And and you populate my future vault. Now, at first you think, wow, I wonder how they'll feel about that extra work they need to do. But here's the real answer. Everything's being commoditized, as we know, and every real professional is trying to add as much value as they possibly can to their counterparty so they're not competing on price. He, like all you know, solid life insurance agents, did a backflip. Now, he gets a mini future vault of mine just with life insurance. And then he starts populating. Oh, you've got this term life insurance policy, puts it in this whole life policy, puts in reminders. Oh, this matures on this date. Here's your premium. You're going to owe this, uh, that, your medical report that you did in connection with that. So I'll give you one more example. Uh, my, my banker in New York, I got some farming interests in California and took out a loan. And there was a quarterly um, actually paid it off recently, so it's still not happening. But for a couple of years, I had a quarterly update that my personal financial controller said it took her the better part of a day. I was basically having to reaffirm my net worth, you know, appraisal, last appraisal in your house, all this kind of stuff. And we'd upload it and put together all this document. It would take her a, a whole day. What we did was we permissioned in the banker. It was TD in New York. And he was became a trusted advisor, and we permissioned him into all the things, the bank statements, the various things that he was asking for us to assemble. Now, this was the day I knew we had a product because I was a little worried. I thought, ah, he's going to say, look, that's our protocol. This is the way it works. you got to fill it out. And I'll never forget, I was walking up the stairs towards our office, and I got an email from him. He said, this is fantastic. You have everything but two documents. And I went, Holy smokes. And Mike, I want you to pause for a second and think what that, what just that happened. Two things happened that are really, really relevant. The first one is, is that my controller didn't spend any time, just permissioned him in. So we, I just saved five, six hours of her time and he took it on. But the second thing is that a major financial institution changed their protocol with respect to how they got information, which he thought was excellent because he could download, he could do whatever he wanted. He couldn't delete any files as a trusted advisor. So this is what I mean by a paradigm shift. This is today's world where how do you you know, empower the millennials and the Gen Zs and that other people are doing the work for them. And that's what we see as this massive paradigm shift and having it aver- aggregated as well at the same time with all the other bells and whistles that we haven't even, we need four hours to talk about the functionality that we've built thus far. Yeah. And where is it today in terms of the accessibility or attraction, however you measure that revenue or accounts or whatever is indi- indicative? Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of ways to measure it. Um, one way is the number of vaults. We've got about 75,000 live vaults in the field that are being paid for. This is our B to B to C white label part of our business. So that's where we go to a money manager or a brokerage firm, tell them about the solution. Here's the benefit to the enterprise, uh, to the advisors, if there's advisors, and most importantly, to your end clients, that your end clients can store not just information about your business relationship that you're going to populate in the vault, but things that are unrelated to your business relationship. That's the real power. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, a very quick anecdotal story. I got some new eyeglasses this summer with my, my daughter. She said to me, Dad, I can't see that well. We went in. Sure enough, she needed some eyeglasses. 
And uh, the lady said, um, I just need your prescription, Mr. Patterson. I said, oh, I'm a minus 175. She said, well, I need the subscription. I said, no, no, I'm certain. I'm a minus 175. She said, no, I need the actual prescription. I went to my iPhone. Uh, the, the app, the feature fold app was there. And I put an eyeglass prescription, came up instantly. And I was, I, I sent it to her. At that moment, had that been from a financial services brand, I want you to pause and process the mind share and the value proposition that extended then well beyond, oh, they managed some of my money. Oh, my bank is there. Oh, that's whomever it may be. Wow, I saved enormous amount of time because I was able to access that information. So uh, now, with respect to the number I gave you, um, we're imminently about to launch another 175,000 volts. And so we think we'll be uh, probably about just over a quarter million by the end of the year. And then we think next year will be a big, big year. And hopefully we're headed towards millions of vaults in the field. That's the B2B2C white label side of our business. We are also launching a B2C side of our business uh, in which we think we're going to uh, have some fun with the world as well there, where we're going to allow individuals to monetize their personal information. You know, this is a, a category that, is a fascinating one, and you let me know mm. if you want to talk more. Yeah, so, well, I, I want to. I'm so curious if the blockchain plays into this at all, or if there's any future plans or thoughts on using the technology. Uh, just generally speaking, of the blockchain technology, with the ability to have individuals with wallets or addresses that have a public key, and only one person has the private key, so different people have different. Um, authentication privileges to write into a wallet or to it, you know, th think of it, I think of it conceptually less as money, although money is the first use case, but the, the blockchain being some information that's stored on each address and then each, and then other addresses have various permissions. So you can say, okay, I'm going to give, you know, this, this node or this address permission to write or send me something for this period of time. And it seems seems compelling. I, I don't know much about the space. If there is anyone building document management systems on the blockchain, it would probably be through smart contracts and that sort of thing. But I, I'm curious if this has come up in conversation. Well, well, well there are, and there's yeah. some uh, very prolific success yeah. stories. Filecoin is probably the most well-known one where you can store on, on the blockchain in a decentralized ledger using the Filecoin protocol. And their market cap, by the way, of the coins in distribution the tokens and distribution, apologies to some uh, fire truck or something going by nearby here, but their market cap's over 7 billion US and their storage and there are a couple others. But our strategy, we think is the home run of all home runs, the true creation of a utility token. And we're the ones to do it given that we've spent, we spent 20 million US thus far uh, in our funding uh, to build the solution that we have. We built an absolute juggernaut and our B2C strategy, which will launch soon, uh, we're going to turn freemium on a dime. You're going to open up a future vault and we're going to pay you tokens. We're going to pay you tokens to open up a future vault so that you can benefit from all the functionality. And by the way, the more you share with the engine, the information, the more tokens you earn. So let's just take car insurance as an example. If you disclose the expiry date of your car insurance, you earn 30 tokens. If you disclose the model make and year of your car, completely opt in. But hey, I'll earn some more tokens. I get another 25 tokens. How about the monthly premium? $312, I'm making it up. I earn another 25 tokens. This is gold in the marketing world, as we know. And who are the counterparties? Well, the counterparties are the financial service organizations that sell car insurance. And what are they going to buy? We're going to call them tokens, but what are they really? They're leads. Mm. Because right now, when you and I go into a website and they make us accept a cookie, ostensibly, they're trying to figure out how old's Mike Townsend? You know, does he have a kid? Uh, does he have a car? If he does, what, you know, what's his insurance? Does he own it? Doesn't he own it? That's the whole purpose. That's what programmatic advertising is, is to ostensibly say, let me find people between 30 and 40 and they've got a car worth 40 to $50,000. And, you know, their monthly premium is 312 to $412. That's what programmatic advertising is. How about if you disrupt that business? And how about if you go right to the, oh, we can bid on the leads for we know exactly when Mike Townsend's car insurance is up for uh, renewal and we know what he's paying per month and we know what kind of model making car it is. And therefore, we can say, and you might say, I'll take three bids, five bids, whatever it is a week before. And they, whoever the counterparty is, says, uh, Mr. Townsend will match the $312 you're paying per month, but we'll take $100 of those in tokens. Mm. 
this is, you know, if you think to, we all know with, with, with Facebook, you and I are the product. Now the, the, the deal that people make is, oh, I get to store my family photos and share and you get to sell me ads and I hope they're relevant. And the more pictures of my dog or dog biscuits I get, I don't know why Facebook hasn't given 10% of their profits back and gamify the thing. The more content. Yeah, you would think, right? I mean, YouTube does that. YouTube will share revenue with you. I mean, they share most of it. YouTube thinks of themselves as taking a cut. Although there's more, there's more overt advertising on YouTube to some degree. Uh, I mean, in some ways you're kind I think of YouTube more as when you're creating YouTube content, you're opting in as a creator, you know, you're trying to entertain, whereas Facebook is just the casual, like, here's what my dog did last weekend. So I, yeah, I but you're right. I mean, there's no reason they could, they, they, I'm sure that they thought about it. I don't know what the reason is, but it does make sense, especially for people who are more, I don't know, serious on Facebook about creating content or more avid creators. It would certainly incentivize people. But I think, but I think the reason I brought it up is that it, you know there's a big debate, particularly the the Gen Zs and the Millennials about privacy, and yet their behavior. If you swipe left to have a date tonight on you know one of the apps, or if I put my financial information in really quickly to sign up to you know whatever it may be, I think the behavior is much more trusting and much more open. And what we believe is that you know as a consumer. If I can earn and monetize my information and get better deals on my car insurance, life insurance, first mortgage, whatever it may be, why? why I'm, I'm doing it in reverse now. I'm going online and saying with a calculator for insurance, you know, I got two kids, they're age two and four, and, you know, here's my income, and what do I need to for a 529 college savings plan so they can go to university? You're doing it anyway. So why, why not do it in reverse and basically capture some of the funds that the people selling you those products in that shotgun approach. Therefore, they can reduce their customer acquisition costs and share some of that mm. with the consumer. It's, I think it's a win-win category. And frankly, whoever could creates what I just described, and we plan on it being Future Vault, that's a fang stock. I mean, you give it five years, and this is a multi-hundred billion dollar market cap, whoever conquers this space. And we think we're the right guys because we're doing it today for real, with real vaults, with all the functionality, including security being paramount to the yeah. point you earlier made. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you heard of, um, I'm sure you must have, uh, I just went through a switch here from Dashlane to 1Password, which I, I think of kind of conceptually as the first category of opt-in services like Dropbox and One OneDrive, uh, where I have to enter in all the passwords. But I, I currently store, you know, all my passwords there and then a couple of my credit cards. And it's I kind of think of it as my vault of passwords. And yep. there's certainly no place that I have personally, or that I know of that you're describing where your people keep all of their important documents or even receive documents from there. And the ability to, t- to take that and then click a button and, and monetize that is, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, you know, cause there's not really that feature elsewhere. I, I can't think of another example where people uh, there is one that comes to mind. You know, Brave browser. I actually use it. It's also a, a token too. It's by, built by the same guy who made JavaScript, the very popular web tech language. And uh, their their model is kind of similar, where they're trying to displace the Googles of the world, the ad uh, publisher. I think they're referred to as publishers, and allow people to receive. If you want to opt out of ads, you can. But if you're willing to watch the ad, then you'll get paid for it. And so it's it's different. It's different than you're describing in the sense because you're not giving, you're not just sending data away, but you're saying, hey, you can track me, but in return, I get paid for that ad revenue. And yeah. it's kind of interesting to see these different business models pop up. Well, I think the trend that you just described is irreversible. And, you know, it started with freemium and we all thought, well, how can it get any more than free? <laughs> and now it's not going to be, basically, it, you're, you're, you're carving out, as I described, a, a piece of somebody else's customer acquisition costs. There's a um, uh, an app uh, very prevalent in India uh, called Mazalo, M-Z-A-A-L-O, and just been launched by some people we know well, very, very credible people. And if you watch content through the Mazalo app, you earn Mazalo tokens, which are convertible into Exponite tokens, which just got listed. And not a dissimilar thing. We went to Avod, Advertising video on demand, you saw Hulu and Tubi TV be incredible success stories where I could watch content. My, my media background is slipping into a little bit of this discussion, but we, we saw 
AVOD uh, create tremendous value in the case of Pluto and, and 2B TV. Well, this is the next thing. How about forget I watch an ad to watch, you know, a James Bond movie? How about I get paid tokens? And what they've done at Mizalo is they've assembled 600 brands in India that you get discounts on your running shoe, on your lunch, on whatever, after you watch the content. So I think the, the, the point you made about the Brave browser and the various ways people are coming at this are, are a trend. And the question is, who's in the best position, at least as it relates to financial services? Uh, and we think it's us because we're already in the business and we've already you know, built this in, in, incredible solution. But, it, but it's early days. We're having fun and we're, yeah. uh, you know, we're excited about the next few months in particular when we launch this. Um, I want to ask you about your media background. You're currently on the board chairman of a, of a couple of different companies, uh, one of which is Q, Q, QU. Is that how you pronounce it? Q-U-O. Q-U or, or Q-Media. Um, Q-Media, yeah. Whatever is easier. What's the story there? How, do you, do you, yeah, what does it do? How did it start and what do you see there? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Well, I've been, um, I was really fortunate in the media space to um, having been invited to be the second investor in a company called Lionsgate Entertainment when it was uh, founded by a former business partner of mine back in 1997, many moons and ago. And Lionsgate is huge now, right? Lionsgate's been a massive success yeah. story. Uh, market cap would be uh, around $3.5 billion. And, you know, I'm sure most of your audience have seen so much of our stuff, whether it's uh, Orange is the New Black or Mad Men uh, or uh, Hunger Games or Twilight. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, 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 it's been a, it's been a fantastic, uh, or, or John Wick, uh, been a, been a fantastic success story, but was really, really fortunate. I'm still involved, you know, 20 odd years later. And I met through that exercise, their head of the digital media business at Lionsgate, a fellow named Kurt Marvis, brilliant guy, fun guy, tons of energy. And he approached me uh, a few years ago and said, what about all this content that's on YouTube? That's kind of undiscovered. You know, there's something like five or 600 hours uploaded every minute. And, you know, how can people discover that? What if we curated that and we we went to and created almost like an old-fashioned television show? Of course, you could see it in VOD and, you know, go to your favorite uh, content producer. And we were uh, a little too ambitious. We went into 22 countries and it didn't, we just spread ourselves too thin. And we went with an English language feed. And that was probably a little bit naive with respect to the way the world is going. They want local content and local language. And in any event, where things started to really work was in India. And I had a background with a company called uh, Jump TV that I co-founded a number of years ago. And we'd had involvement with India. Uh, Morgan Stanley took us public. Uh, I was chairman and CEO. It was a lot of fun many moons ago. So I had a bit of uh, some Indian relationships and long story short, all of a sudden, we started shifting our content more and more. Now we're 100% Hindi uh, language. And our goal, so we're now on, in and on over 830 million homes and devices in India. Um, I'm chairman of the company. We've got about 70 people on the ground in Mumbai. Super, super. Wait, how did, wait hey, I have to I, I rewind for a second. So you're, you're, you're spread to 22 countries, mostly in English. And then somebody you knew in India is like, hey, wh what was the thing that allowed that to happen? Yeah. Kurt, Kurt was at a conference, told the story that he felt that the Gen Z and the millennial audience would like another discovery mechanism of YouTube content. And if it was delivered in the form of a linear channel on your phone uh, or on your laptop or through an app or through even cable and satellite, that there'd be tremendous audience for it. They call it kind of non-commitment TV, almost like MTV was in the very yeah. beginning. I mean, you're too young to remember, but it was all music videos and it could be on in a bar in the background. You could go to the bathroom. You didn't miss the plot line, all that kind of stuff. And you do it in 30 minute blocks, 30 minutes of dance and 30 minutes of comedy and 30 minutes of prank and 30 minutes of extreme sports, that kind of stuff. It didn't work in all the other countries. We were too thin. So we really got out of everywhere. We actually shut down the last one in Poland, which had a little bit of traction, but we decided we're going all in on India. And we went all in and all of a sudden our ratings started to take off. And our goal was to catch Disney's top youth channel called Bindas in India. And we just flew past them. And our ratings are about three times bigger, maybe even more than that now, than Disney's top 
youth channel. And then what happened is the advertisers started flying in and we're also in uh, social, um, in influencer marketing by the, pardon me, we are very, very strong influencer marketing capability in India. And now we're moving into social commerce. So we've got this massive footprint. When I was in Mumbai, just before COVID, I went into my hotel room and you turn on channel 25 and there's the Q. It's called wow. the Q India. And it's really, really cool. And, you know, our, our revenue, this one is one of the three. We talked about Future Vault. Q Media is one of the other ones. Uh, it's the only public one uh, of the three. It's, it's publicly listed in Canada. We did $300,000 revenue in Q1. Okay, big deal. Q2, we did $2.6 million in revenue. And Q3, we announced we did $4.6 So growing just by leaps and bounds. And we've announced we're launching a second channel in uh, mid-January. And then, you know, the big picture, just 30 seconds on it or 20, yeah. is the the macro factors in India will just, it's, I mean, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Disney, you, you name it, have spent billions of dollars investing in the media ecosystem of India. And during COVID, this is recent stuff. And so here we are, this little micro cap, kind of $100 million market cap company growing like a weed right in the sweet spot of social commerce, influencer marketing, the social, the creator economy, which as you know, is kind of the top term used in Silicon Valley these days. And we think we're sitting on a jewel. There's one stat I say that you just need to know about India. It's the only one you need to know. Every month, every month, 3 million people come out of poverty every month. And the first thing they do is they buy a cell phone and buy a TV subscription. Every month. There's no dynamic like this anywhere in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. And, and uh, the team's done a fantastic job. And, and we're, we think in the next three, four, five years, we're going to build a multi-billion dollar media brand that'll be the most well-recognized youth media brand in the country of India. And so now what, what the company is doing is they have a studio somewhere and they have cameras and production people and the recording people comment on... We, we, well, no, Mike, it's a better business model than that in the sense that there's we, we have started to do a little bit of original content, mm. but the basic thesis is we go to YouTube creators that are popular and we say, why don't we stitch together uh, a bunch of your three-minute videos? These are not user-generated content, so we're not talking about America's Home videos. We're talking about high production value, usually sponsored, frankly, by brands. Uh, but they might be around a theme, might be cooking, it might be uh, action sports, it, it might be dance, might be music. Prank is very popular in India as well. And we create a 24-minute block, and then we get sponsorship or influencer marketing, uh, and we put that on air. Uh, devotional is very popular in India. Pranks, extremely popular. Animation is very popular. And as we say, our ratings have skyrocketed. Just on cable and satellite, we've got close to 100 million viewers per week watching almost 90 minutes, which is well above all of our peers in terms wow. of the time spent viewing. So the model is go to the you go to the creators and say, hey, you create for us something that we're going to air with with at, with advertising stitch into it and then we'll pay you. So uh, Q media. Even basically. simpler than that, Mike. E even simpler than that. And, and it's we're going to license it non-exclusively. You don't need to create anything new for us. We're going to take your videos that you already have millions of people watching online, but the cell phone carriers in India, they want that content. Oh, on so you're like translating YouTube. it from YouTube to the other channels. We're packaging it. We're packaging. taking the 10, yeah, God, the seven, so three minute videos. It's like, that's so smart. It's kind of like, there's all, you pr I imagine this is what you were thinking is that there's so much great content being produced on, in this world of YouTube, but it's not migrating over to the old school rails where people are still watching. So let's just, Let's just make that happen. Yeah, and it, and it's a little bigger than that. The, the CEO of Tata Sky, now that may mean nothing to you, but some people may have heard Tata. It's the largest company in India, and Sky is owned by Disney. Tata Sky is the big cable company, so pardon me, the big uh, satellite company. So think DirecTV or Dish equivalent. I got to meet the CEO of Tata Sky a couple of years ago in Mumbai, and what he said was really the, the linchpin. He said, listen, at 8 o'clock, the mother, she controls the, the TV dial and she's watching a telenovela. She doesn't care about your Q media prank show, but you get four devices with your subscription to Tata Sky and the 15 year old kid is in his room and he's watching your stuff and they want the 15 year old kid mm. because they know the kids move to the phone. Well, that's one of the devices he's watching it on. So, but the other piece is that the creators, they're kind of like a barker. 
in their own world, in their own websites, some of them say, and watch my stuff on Tuesdays at nine o'clock on Tata Sky Q, channel 25. Because to them, they're getting a broader audience, a broader reach. And frankly, television's still the gold standard. Uh, You ask anybody in the digital world, when they get to say to their mom and dad, "I'm, I'm actually on TV, mom, not just online. That's a big, big home run. So it's a combination. The thesis was there was this undiscovered content that the, that the creators would want to promote it and that the carriers being uh, cell phone carriers, apps, and on a cable and satellite, that they would love the content to create kind of a sticky market. One more stack. Yeah, your your audience right. may, may, may never heard of it. When, when TikTok, you might recall before... Uh, you know, right at the end of the election, there was talk about uh, TikTok being banned in the United States and what role was China playing and blah, blah, blah. And it, and it stayed around uh, without changes to its ownership. Well, in India, they did ban TikTok. It's banned. You cannot access TikTok. So one of the apps that kind of filled the void is called Shingari, C-H, Shingari. And we're on Shingari. Now, this is about our potential as a business. We did a a, a fun thing where we said, Give us an audition, send in a video to audition for an original uh, piece of content that we uh, are about to launch. And we got 47,000 submissions, but hold the phone for a second, that got watched over a billion times on Shingari. This is what happens in India. There are more Indians between 20 and 30 than there are Americans. That's the, the stat really? you want to wow. post it. That's crazy. More Indian, yeah. billion four in total, more than 350 million between 20 and 30. But the reason I tell you the Shingari story is here's an app nobody's ever heard of. I mean, I only know it obviously because of this, uh, you know, business we're building there. And we didn't get one penny from it yet because Shingari hasn't started to monetize with ads yet. They will next year. Same thing with our cell phone business. So all those revenue growth numbers I described to you and, and, and you know, the, the audience a little earlier are, are coming from the cable and satellite um, uh, viewership. You can't go to Q, the Q and get anything. It's not there. You can only get it if you watch it through cable, satellite, or through an app like Shingari or through a mobile carrier. But we haven't started to monetize anything by cable and satellite thus far. What a what an interesting, God, if it wasn't for this podcast, and I would have no idea that that's going on. Most people would have no idea. I mean, to think when you explain it, it makes perfect sense. You're taking all this content on one area and YouTube and you're, you're allowing other people to see it and other channels, but you did it. Was it a difficult pivot or would you describe it as a pivot from the initial, you know, launch in 22 countries? And I think I think the most important thing and I I, I know this from my, you know, media background and I think we were in maybe a little denial over it. And we also knew it was going to cost a lot more money, but was thinking that the international feed of English language YouTube content would resonate. It just doesn't. People aren't interested. They don't want that in Poland. They don't want that in India. They want their own language and their own content. And I think most Americans know that the Bollywood content, the name for Hollywood, obviously in India, it is high production value. I mean, yeah. you, if you watch Indian content, you're thinking you're watching something made, uh, you know, in, in Hollywood. So uh, it was a bit of a pivot to say, okay, we got this wrong. We're in too many countries. Let's focus on India. We're all in. These are macro themes that are spectacular. We brought in... Times Group of India, don't expect you or anybody else to have heard of it, but if you Google, it's the biggest media company in the country, and they just invested in our company. So we're we're pretty excited about uh, that endorsement as well. And my view is, Mike, in business, you know, you can be the smartest guy on the planet, but you need the macro factors behind you to hit outside success. In other words, you can be successful at anything, but if the macro factors are against you, it's, it's hard to get outside success. You get them in the right, you know, like for, I always say, Pick oil and gas. You can be the smartest oil gas guy in the world, but if crude goes from $100 a barrel to 20 tough to be a hero. You don't have to be that smart to get involved in oil and gas and crude goes from 20 to 100 You're pretty darn smart. And so in the India example, these macro factors around what's happening in the country and the, and the just explosive growth in media. Netflix, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, said the next 100 million subscribers for Netflix come from India. Wow. That's how much focus is on the Indian market. And we're sitting there saying we're going to be in this lane and the tide's going higher and we're going to ride with the tide. And we've got some really, really smart people and very dedicated people. And we're, it's a long game. It's, this is another three, four, five years, but we, we, we hope to wake up and have something worth a few billion dollars of value. I love it. How, how, what is the, how do I want to ask this question? 
um, what are the what are the attributes? What are the things about a person that would make them uh, good at being either a CEO or a chairman? I, I I think a lot of people the chairman role is kind of um, vague as to what what people do in that position. Uh, generally, you're not. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not involved in day to day operations. You'll come to maybe quarterly board meetings for a few hours and discuss with executives of the team how things are going and challenge discuss solving difficult challenges. You will vote on important issues, acquiring people or hiring key executives. What else? What What are other things that a chairman is uh, maybe not appreciated for or does that's really important? Yeah, I wish. I wish. I like the description you just gave of being chairman. I wish that's what I could do. <laughs> um, uh, the, and there's a bit of a hybrid. So in Future Vault's case, I am executive chairman. And that is supposed to denote that I am involved uh, in the day-to-day activities. I have a CEO, spectacular CEO, and he's running the business. But I am opening doors. I'm using my Rolodex with respect to relationships I have all over the world uh, in financial services. I'm heavily involved in product. I, I co-founded the company and, and came up with the conception of how it looks, how it feels, how it would interact, how it would work. Still heavily involved in product. Uh, I think the earlier stages of a company, I would say the definition of a chairman it, it should be much more involved. As you become a bigger company and more mature, then I think the way you described it is right. It's about governance, hiring the CEO, making sure that the, 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 you know, the, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and things of that nature. Um, but I, you know, I, I personally, I love to partner with CEOs that are good, you know, day-to-day operators, great executors, and in the old days, like when I grew up and said, oh, I aspire to be a, a, you know, a businessman someday, the chairman usually was responsible for setting the long-term vision. And the CEO, the chief executive officer, was hired to hire the key people and you know, raise the financing and the other key attributes to execute on the vision. And then the president ran the business day to day. In governance changes in the last number of years, it's become much more the way you described it, which is the CEO reports to the board, the chairman of the board is, you know, ensuring compliance and regulatory compliance and things of all that nature and aren't typically involved in the business. And I respect that, um, that division of responsibility 100% because there was a lot of cases where if had that been the case, there might have been better outcomes uh, for investors, et cetera. Uh, but in my case, I'm pretty active as a chairman. What I'm really acknowledging is I love the, the uh, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to get there. I'm going to make these first, Q, Q, first few meetings but I, I get a little, I don't want to say bored, but I'm not the best in the third meeting or the fourth meeting. And I'm definitely terrible at the, let's get to the 85 page agreement for something. And I'm on page 42. I want to pull my hair out because I want to go get the next one and bring it in. So you need partners and colleagues that are, you know, complementary to whatever your own skills are. Yeah. How do you, uh, oh, sorry, I almost had a sneeze there. Uh, when you think about the difference between a CEO and a chair, chair woman or chairman, um, you, I think of it as, as in the early stages, especially, uh, when you start a company, you, I, I just, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how and when it makes sense for somebody, or let's just take your example to be specific to leave the CEO position. So future ball is, you know, I, I think around 50 people or so. And, uh, it's about 35, 35. 35. And, um, you know, it sounds like Q media has a ton of upside potential. There's, I find with every piece of advice, there's a good counter piece of advice, but one of the ones that I, I think about, and I, I wonder how it, it applies here is when you focus on one thing, you can be very, very successful if you go all in on that one thing versus dividing your attention. Cause we all have the same amount of hours in the day. Uh, do you tr- do like Monday? I'm doing Future Vault. Tuesday, I'm doing Q Media. Thursday, I'm doing. We haven't even talked about your third company. But h- how do you divide your time, or how do you think about uh, dividing your time? Well, if you ask me today, how am I dividing my time? I would say I'm 100% on Future Vault. I'm 50% on Q Media. I'm 20% on Giftogram, which is the third one. And then I have 50% uh, for my kids. So that's why I'm up from <laughs> 5 a.m. and go to bed at 2 a.m. <laughs> and, I, and I really say, I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life. And some days I go, why the heck am I doing that? Uh, but 
You know, listen, it's a very good point. And if I looked at my past and said, when were you most successful? There were two ingredients. One was that I was extremely focused. And secondly, I was incredibly passionate about it. Mm. And you put those two things together, and most people are going to succeed, in my view, at whatever they do. I was involved in more than what I am now. Fortunately, two of them, we had exits a couple of years ago, very successful companies, the Jump TV that I uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, that's public, uh, was sold uh, to Endeavor, um, big New York Stock Exchange listed company, and uh, another company called Symbility Solutions. And that was sold to CoreLogic on NASDAQ. Um, so I was spread a little bit thin. Uh, I don't do the Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to uh, London, England tonight, and I'm there for the balance of the week. And it's a combination uh, of Future Vault and uh, Comedia. And in one case, uh, it, there's something, believe it or not, that it kind of the same meeting is about both of them because Future Vault's um, platform, while we're focused on financial services today, is is incredibly capable of of handling multiple industries. I guess is the point. Now we're focused on financial services, but from time to time when things come up, uh, you know, we're certainly open minded. But it's a great question, and um, I must admit though that I enjoy the um, the intellectual rigor. Uh, and I also, um, you know, the interesting part is I go to London, England for the queue. I wouldn't have gone just for future vault from a, is now the right time? Is it worth the money in the planes, et cetera? But because I'm going anyway, now I can further the ball with future vault. So there's some benefits you get from that perspective as well. If I were CEO of any of the businesses, this would be impossible. Obviously, I mean, Jack Dorsey's probably the one of few people who can do that in the world and Elon Musk. Uh, but, and I, so I'm, I'm really agreeing with you that focus is really helpful and I'm excited that I'm really focused. Um, you know, future vault is where I'm spending most of my time right now, part of it because of where it's at in its own evolution. And, um, you know, and I've got so many relationships in financial services as well that I, I just feel every minute that I want to be trying to add as much value as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost make an argument that your, your time is more, your your individual time is more productive spent across multiple companies because you can almost uh, cross benefit cross pollinate is the word across different companies. But then again, they're they're quite a bit different. Uh, which maybe we'll loop in the last one here. Giftogram is if I think of these three companies like a software, a very technical company with Future Vault building secure uh, uh, document. Uh, personal management systems, then the Q Media Giftogram is uh, the the seemingly unrelated company. Uh, how how does this fit into your story? Well, well it's, a, it's a technology company at the core, and it fits in because my former personal chief financial officer is the CEO and the founder. Oh, okay. and I'm a big fan. Of his. When he came to me a, a few years ago and said he had this idea, and would I back him? I wanted to back him right away because he's such a smart. A uh, young guy, and um, it's a very simple premise, Mike. You can send a, a gift with two clicks without knowing somebody's address. So we curate gifts from retailers and wholesalers. I send, I use it two, three times a week. Stockbroker makes me. It, my my threshold is stockbroker makes me a lot of money. He gets steak knives. Stockbroker makes me a little bit of money. I send him Moscow Mule uh, mugs, and um, it's it's really cool. You know, my neighbor up at my cottage this week allowed me to use, we're on an island in this land loading dock and all that stuff. And I sent him a giftogram. He said, wow, that's really cool. Thank you very much. He gets this text. Uh, it was steak knives and uh, he doesn't know they're steak knives till they show up. So I get two thank yous. He gets a little note. Hey, Dom, thanks very much. Blah, blah, blah. He sends me a note saying, hey, thanks. That's very thoughtful. Then he gets a little box with a little bow on it that the retailer has. They put the steak knives in and 24 hours later, he'll open that up and I'll get a second thank you. But it's tough to send somebody a gift. It's tough to send somebody a, uh, it could be from 20 bucks to $2,000. You can send a drone on Giftogram if you want to, to thank somebody in a thoughtful way. We're also pretty big in corporate gifting as well uh, with some of the household names uh, in North America uh, that are using our technology around logistics and tracking. It's kind of like Domino's Pizza. Like if you, Mike, and I'll do it. I'll send you, make sure Nicole has your <laughs> cell phone number. I'll send you your first gift to Graham. You'll be able to track where it is. And so do I. Mike Townsend's accepted it. It's been shipped. He's received it. That's unlike sending flowers. I don't yeah. know. Did you get the flowers? Did you get the flowers? You go, where is it? It's kind of like Domino's Pizza. Oh, it's on the way. I'm getting it tomorrow at 4 p.m. So it's it's... 
and, and gifting is a massive, massive category, you know, $300 billion in North America. Nobody really owns gifting. You don't say, hey, let's go here for gifting. You know, you can go to Amazon, but it's a big C. Ours is curated, thoughtful gifts, both for corporate gifting and individual gifting. Business is growing yeah. uh, quite rapidly and uh, excited about its prospects. But but really, it's a it's a technology at the core. And so it sounds like this is the one that you're the least act involved in on the day-to-day. Almost uh, advisor is probably the... Well, it's more... I'm, I'm lead director, back to another definitional thing we were talking about. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's run well. The other businesses are run really well as well. Uh, I brought in Glenn Murphy, who's the chairman of Lululemon, who's spending time in the business, and he's invested in the business. We're very excited about his involvement. Uh, and it just seems to be going extremely well. Uh, not, you know, the other ones are going very well as well. Uh, it just, I am spending less uh, time on, on Giftogram at this point, but there'll be things when I'm sure I'll be uh, mm. kicking in and spending more time in due course. So at this point, are you totally full? Are you also investing companies or starting new ones or how do you, how do you think? Well, I, I- I do invest. I'm a bit of a deal junkie. So I, I invest uh, a lot in early stage companies and also uh, public companies. Um, I did agree to join the board of a company one public today in Canada called CoinSmart, which is one of the top crypto exchanges in the country. Super CEO, very smart, very fast growing business. And I was very intrigued because of what we're doing on the future vault side as well, to be a little selfish about it, to really learn the business better, to burnish my credentials on that front and, and really try to understand it better. And, and Justin Hartsman is the name of the CEO, uh, has been very helpful with a lot of our thinking around our tokenization strategy uh, at future vault. So I, I you know, it, it, it risks spreading a little thin, uh, but uh, I felt that it was, um, uh, something that made sense for me and for the, and for CoinSmart. Yeah. If you're say, you know, maybe a little younger and thinking about you've had an exit or two, or maybe you haven't, but you have some relevant experience. How does someone, what advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to get more involved on a board level, if they maybe they made a few investments, I, I'm I'm kind of in this position now where I'm on the board of one company that I'm not working for, and I'm interested in joining other companies to be on the board. I think it's a really interesting position to be in, from how you can add value, how you can learn from the role. Um, if you want, like a coin, was Coin Smart was that the name of the company? Yeah. Smart, yeah. Did you reach out to them? Was it just kind of serendipitous, or did you have an intention to join? Um, take, take this wherever you think it's best, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll try to answer both the questions really quickly. I mean, it was somewhat serendipitous. I got approached by a brokerage firm that was raising the money. And in the pitch that the CEO gave me, uh, we just started talking and he said, Hey, uh, you know, uh, I got to form a board. Would you have an interest? And I said, wow, we're just about to, this was just a few months ago. You know, we're just about to create a new subsidiary for Future Vault that's going to be all about tokenization and crypto and blockchain and all the stuff that, you know, you were referencing earlier. So it was a bit of a marriage made in heaven between uh, the two of us. It was more serendipitous than, you know, me being tactical about it. I think one of the things, if I were, uh, you know, a, a young person and in, in interest in there, and it's great to hear you say that because, you know, it's, it's, it's great personal learning experience uh, and also helps you when you see how different boards operate and different CEOs operate and management teams that will help you in other ventures. And so if you are on more than one board, you'll see typically very different dynamics. But one of the things to consider are some of these governance-related courses. Uh, and some of them don't, you know, you can go to Harvard and spend a fortune to do that. Um, but you can also do some of the other things. In Canada, there's something called the Institute of Corporate Directors, which I'm a graduate of. And it, I think it's really good learning around government's obligations and audit committee stuff and compensation committee and governance committee, nominating committee, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, there's a lot of those that are around that I think it sends a, a, a seriousness. So then when you say uh, to somebody, hey, keep me in mind if there are any board seats, and by the way, I did this, then, oh, you're really serious about it. And you've got that part of, uh, you know, kind of the learning uh, you've been exposed to it as well as other things you've been exposed to mm. in in your life. So happy to hear your interest. And, you know, some of these things like, you know, some of these uh, organizations as well, where you can get, call it a certificate or at least an acknowledgement that you've completed it, they create forms in which you can, you know, say, here's my resume, my background, my interest area. And, uh, you know, if, and sometimes it's good to start a nonprofit too. 
you know, I'm involved in, in, in several things mm. on the nonprofit side and that's a great place to be on a board as well. Yeah. And typically the, uh, a board, a board members, I'm thinking my past experience, they're all investors in the company, but if they're not investors, board observers or other board members, they are compensated in equity. And I imagine for bigger companies, there's probably a cash incentive as well for people. We, we had on a medical director who was on our board at my last company. And we had, uh, I think we gave him a thousand a month. He joined a couple meetings, but mostly he was a figurehead, um, you know, to be representative of having a medical director, <laughs> some oversight. Uh, is that sound about right? I, usually I imagine board, non-active board members will be j- just like advisors, uh, you know, a couple basis points all the way up to one uh, percentage. Point. You know, it's all, it's all over the map. Yeah. I mean, I kind of always thought that board members should get a quarter of a percent. Mm-hmm of the company as an initial kind of grant, which might be in the form of options and not stock. And then I, in early stage companies, try to recommend that they don't receive any cash remuneration. Instead, it's in stock options or restricted share units. Obviously, you have to be mindful of tax considerations. But, you know, companies don't want to have four guys, you know, even even if it's a thousand a month. I mean, that $50,000 yeah. employee. Totally. So, but, but you do need to have upside, if you're going to contribute to uh, even the governance obligations, somebody's got to do it. And then if you can be more involved with strategy and other things. And I also believe, and some people think that uh, this isn't the smartest uh, approach in life, but I don't believe all directors should be treated equally. If one director is going to spend much more time and add more value, then they should get extra options uh, type of thing. Uh, that's not everybody in governance would agree with that, but uh, I feel quite strongly yeah. about it. It seems, uh, seems common sense to me because not everyone is willing to give the same amount of time. And I, I'm sure people wouldn't expect to have the same return on their investment of time. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I think you're, you know, you're, you're notional, you know, for a really early stage company, if there's some kind of retainer in that maybe 10 to 20,000 and then a meeting fee and then committee fees. But again, all substituted instead of for cash in, in, in stock or options on a tax-affected basis, that feels like the right amount to be fair to people. The big companies, as you know, you know they can pay $500,000 a year uh, or more uh, to directors. Wow, that's, yeah, that's wild. But yeah, I guess it makes sense. Um, man, congrats on all the progress. Sounds like you have so much going on. Thanks for spending time with me today, Scott. I, I certainly learned a ton. Um, from your different businesses and experiences in the world. Uh, are, are you active on any social media or if people wanted to learn more? I, I, I'm uh, sure. I mean, my LinkedIn, although I, I looked at it the other day, I went, oh my gosh, I better go and update this. It seemed like it was written 20 years ago by somebody. So my my kids have me in a private Instagram uh, All right. feed. So we All share, right. share family photos and stuff like that. So and not, I have a Facebook page, but there's nothing on it. Not that I don't believe it. I'm in businesses that are dependent on, and I watch my kids and everything they're doing to try to spot trends. Uh, you know, you, you Sam, how old, how old is your young one? Mike, one. Referencing a, it's only one. Yeah, one. So, yeah, well, my one and a half year old, I couldn't understand. I gave her, I was really tired, woke up, kind of handing her my phone and put on the wheels on the bus, go round and round video. And I kept turning it sideways so she could get the whole video. And she kept turning it up. And she's one and a half. And I kept going, what is she? She's scrolling and then she's clicking oh on God. and I went, oh, because you can't scroll sideways. I'm going, holy Moses. So that that's a great thing in the technology world and social media to watch your kids and how quickly they're adapting. What does that mean for the future? What does that mean for apps? What does that mean for all the existing big companies? You know, it's pretty fun to watch and try to make uh you know, forecast about the future just but through the eyes of your own kids. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Scott, and I hope to have you back on one day. Uh, That'd be great. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.